You may go ahead and be opening your Bible to the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah will uh, come there in just a few moments, chapter 51. I'm sure most of you recognize Albert Einstein, the photograph there on the, the screen. That's from the cover of the December 1999 issue of Time magazine that named him the man of the century, the man of the, the 1900s. Brilliant man, genius, so many advances in physics and so on. And uh, in fact, won the Nobel Prize in physics and best known for, I guess you could say, the theory of relativ relativity. Uh, e, e, how many of y'all remember that? E equals MC squared. Good, you get an A. After he uh, immigrated to the States, he taught for several years at Princeton. And one day he was traveling by train. And the conductor was going down the aisle checking and punching everyone's ticket. And he got to Einstein and Dr. Einstein reached into his coat pocket and no ticket. Checked his pants, no ticket. Opened his briefcase, looked in it, no ticket. Uh, guys up top, we've got some feedback. So can you all hear the voice or is it just me here on the monitors? Is it just me? Y'all not hearing anything? Huh? I'm hearing all kinds of voices up here, and I don't think I'm going crazy. There's uh, Somebody's talking somewhere. If you've ever given a speech, it's hard to talk when people are talking. Where was I at? Maybe I am going crazy. Um, anyway, no, 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 open his briefcase. No, that's where I was, wasn't it? Yeah. Those of you watching by live stream, and this won't be on TV, those of you watching by live stream, uh, God is good, and we're not perfect. Um, looked in the seat beside him and no ticket. And conductor said, Dr. Einstein, don't worry about it. I know who you are. Everybody here knows who you are. I'm sure you bought a ticket. Don't worry about it. It's not a problem. And Einstein kind of nodded and thanked him. The conductor went on down the aisle checking, punching everybody's ticket. Got to the end of the aisle and he looked back. And he saw Albert Einstein on his hands and knees looking under his seat for his ticket. And so he rushed, he rushed back down and said, Dr. Einstein, don't, Dr. Einstein, don't worry about it. I'm sure you bought a ticket. Don't, don't worry about it. And Dr. I know who you are. Don't worry about it. And Dr. Einstein said, young man, I too know who I am. The problem is I don't know where I'm going. Well, it's important in life to know where you're going, isn't it? To know where you're going when you die, heaven or hell. But also know where you're going in this life. What's the direction of your life? What, what, what are you accomplishing? What are you doing in life in the here and now? Because that, uh, that matters also. And, and the Bible tells us that to go in the right direction in this life, you, you need to identify the point out there in the distance that you're moving toward. What's the direction you're going? But the Bible also says it's, it's important at times to, to look back, know where you've come from. And, and there's lessons you can learn, lessons from mistakes and lessons from failure, lessons from bad experiences, lessons from successes, lessons from good decisions. Look, look back. Two weeks ago we talked about the New Testament telling us to look back and remember the crucifixion of Jesus. Every time we observe the Lord's Supper, that's what we're doing. We're remembering. We're looking back and remembering His love and His sacrifice. And that inspires us. That touches our hearts, right? 
I, mean, I, I saw many of God's people in tears when we observed the supper two weeks ago. Last Sunday we talked about the importance of looking back and remembering the things God has done in the past in our own personal lives. Remember when you became a follower of Christ. Remember those moments that he was faithful. Remember those times when God brought people into your life. God put his people around you and they encouraged you and they, they nurtured you. Remember that. Remember what God has taught you in Scripture in the past. Remember that. Today, I want us to focus on looking back and remembering what God has done in the lives of other believers. Not just my own life, not just through Christ, not just in my life, but look at what God has done among his people over the years. Because, again, there are so many lessons we can learn, so much that can inspire us and instruct us. And in Isaiah 51, that's exactly what he's telling the Jewish people of Isaiah's day to do, is to look back, remember, and find inspiration and instruction for their day. Look with me in Isaiah 51, and let's stand together in honor of God's Word as we read, please. Isaiah 51, verses 1 and 2. Isaiah 51, verses 1 and 2. Here's what God says. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness. Is that what you want? Do you want to be righteous, to live a life that honors God, to be right with God? Those of you who seek the Lord, are you in your heart wanting to draw closer to him, to seek God? Then he says, listen to me if that's who you are. Look to the rock from which you were hewn, to the quarry from which you were dug. And what is that rock? What is that quarry for the Jewish people in Isaiah's day? Verse 2, he said, Look to Abraham, your father, to Sarah, your mother, who gave birth to you in pain. The, the, the mother and father, if you will, the patriarch of the Jewish nation, the first Jew, you could say. When he, when Abraham was but one, I called him. And then I blessed him and multiplied him. Thank you, and you may be seated. He says here, when it, when it started out, there was, there was one man. His name was Abraham. Do you know how many Jews live in the world today? About 14.5 million. 12 million of those 14.5 million, million live either in Israel proper or in America. But even in Isaiah's day, Israel was a nation with a king, with an army, with a prosperous economy. And the prophet is saying to them, I want you to, in this day and time, when, when you're being so successful, and maybe so successful you're forgetting God, so successful that other things are distracting you from faithfulness and obedience. He says, I want you to look back. And in this day and time, when, when, when you think you control so much, when you think uh, you've got it together, when, when, when you think you can, you can do everything yourself, he says, I want you to look back. I want you to look back. Abraham to Sarah when it was just him just 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 Abraham do you know that Abraham lived 1200 years before Isaiah so God's telling them to look back a long 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 distance to the beginning of their existence as a people and he says the reason I want you to do that is it can help you do those two things in verse 1 help you pursue righteousness live like a follower of God, and help you seek the Lord, stay in his presence, stay close to him, 
Because there's so many stories in Abraham's life that can instruct you and encourage you. I mean, think about the positives and the negatives. There's so much in Abraham's life that can encourage faith and obedience. But there's also some things not to do because Abraham made some mistakes, some bad choices. And think about the positive the positive for just a moment. Abraham's great faith. Here he is living with his family in one nation, and God speaks to him and says, Abraham, I want you to leave your family. Take your wife and your kids, but leave your extended family. Leave your homeland. Leave the place you've lived. I want you to leave, and I'm going to lead you to a new place you've never been to before. You've never seen before. You don't know anything about it, but I'm asking you to leave here and go there. And when you get there, I'm going to do something wonderful with your life. And Abraham obeyed. Great story of faith. I mean, God said, I'm going to give you this new land, this promised land. Give it to your descendants. Make a nation. Do you know that the only piece of property, the only piece of dirt that Abraham owned in his life in, in the promised land was the cemetery where he and Sarah were buried? That's it. The rest of his life, he was a nomad and land that God was going to give to his descendants. His faith is so inspiring. And yet, there's the negative because there were moments. Here's this man of great faith, and yet there were moments when his faith was weak. And when fear won. One time God's talking to Abraham and says, Abraham, I'm going to give you and your descendants all this land. And Abraham begins to kind of barter with God and ask God to prove it. Needed evidence. You ever, you ever gotten to a place in, in, you, in your faith walk with Jesus Christ where faith in that moment for you just wasn't enough? You wanted God to show you something so your faith could really, you know, you, you, you could believe it? Well, Abraham had those moments. And when you, when you study his life, there's so much to encourage and inspire, and yet we see his humanity, his failure, and his failure. And one of the things I love about the Word of God and about the Bible and all the critics out there don't get this, but let me tell you, God never glosses over the humanity of the saints. He, he shows us the greatness to inspire us. He shows us the failure, the weakness, and the sin to warn us. And, 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 and also, I think that inspires us because I, I realize I don't have to be perfect all the time in order to be obedient and be a child. Yeah, I'm supposed to be perfect, but, but I, I'm not going to. And I'm not the only one, and I can learn from them so that it, it spurs me to keep moving forward rather than to say because I messed up this one time, I just quit and give up. Aren't you glad that God doesn't make every great saint in the Bible look like Superman? <laughs> you know, the bullets just bounce off. I am. Because I'm not Superman, are you? And that's, that's not as a, a, you know, a reason to just settle. But boy, there's lessons. We, we can learn from their failure. Don't do certain things because there's consequences. God warns us through all of that. And so he said, look back. 
Because when you look back at what God has done among His people in the past, you can find perhaps what you need for this moment in your life. And, and that's a common practice in Scripture. I just showed you one passage. For instance, Deuteronomy 5, 15 he tells them to remember the Exodus and Deuteronomy 8, 2, to remember how God took care of them and led them during the wilderness wandering 40 years in the wilderness between the Exodus and settling in the promised land. Deuteronomy 9, 7, he, he, he reminds, he tells them to remember the times during the Exodus and the wilderness wandering that your forefathers, your ancestors rebelled against God. So many lessons in all those stories. And so if you go into the home of a devout Jew today, you'll see them observing every year the the, the Passover. And what are they doing when they observe the Passover? And they're remembering the Exodus. They're, they're remembering the, the death angel. They're remembering how God spared them. What, what are we doing every year when we celebrate Christmas? What are we doing every year when we celebrate Easter? In your own life, what do you do when you celebrate birthdays and anniversaries? It's a part of life to look back and remember, and as a Christian, as a believer, to spiritually look back and remember what God's done among His people, not just in my life, but in others, because it can encourage me, correct me, instruct me, inspire me, motivate me. In 1 Samuel chapter 12, the prophet is talking to the people of Israel. They've just gotten their first king. Remember, they wanted a king, so God gave them Saul to be king wasn't what God wanted, but it's what they wanted. So God said, okay, I'll let you have it. Gave them a king, Saul. And, and, and the prophet Samuel, when they're setting Saul aside as their new king, recounts their history. Here they are. They're gathered as a nation. He goes, he goes over their history of what God has done in the past and what they've done in the past. He talks about the times they rebelled against God in the past. He talked about the times they, they trusted God and something else other than God. He talks about the consequences of disobedience. He even reminds them in this speech that kings can be cruel. And they learn that lesson in the future. He said to them, it may not turn out like you want. Remember, look at what's going on before. Nehemiah chapter 9, after the Jewish people spent 70 years as slaves in Babylon. God allows them to come back to Palestine and rebuild the city of Jerusalem that had been de destroyed by the Babylonians. They, they build the, the city and they, they have a day of worship and a day of dedication. And do you know that they spent half a day in church? Come on. Listening to the reading of the Old Testament, their history, the law, worshiping and praising God, as they remembered their history, here they are rededicating themselves, rededicating their capital city, rededicating the nation. And what do they do? They remember the history. They focus on what God has done in the past because they do not want to make the same mistake their forefathers made that caused them to be slaves in Babylon in the first place. Do you get the picture? The book of Psalms, Psalm 105, Psalm 106, Psalm 107, those three Psalms each recount the history of God's work among the Jewish people. Look with me at another passage, please, Psalm 78. Psalm 78. 
Go ahead and turn there in your Bible, if you would, please. Psalm 78. He tells them in the beginning, in verse 1, to listen. Talks in verse 2 about the sayings of old, their history. Now notice verse 3. He said, these, these sayings of old, these events of the past, which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. Now remember, this is a centuries before Gutenberg invented the printing press. Their stories, their history, their teachings were passed down word of mouth. It was oral tradition. That's their culture. They, they would recite these stories over and over and over. It'd be like going to certain parts when, when, when we're in certain places in Africa today where most of them don't read. We tell Bible stories. We communicate the truth through storying. Scripture stories. And so they're passing these stories. And he says, our fathers, our ancestors have told us all this stuff about what God has done among the Jewish people in the past. Now verse 4, we will not conceal them, hide them. From whom? From the children. We will tell to the generation to come, the praises of the Lord, the, the great deeds of God, his strength and wondrous works that he has done. He said, we're not going, we're not going to hide it. We're going to share it. We're going to share it with our children. In verse, verse 5, he says that he's established a testimony in Jacob, appointed a law in Israel. Now notice this, which he commanded our fathers that they should teach them to their children. Now, mom and dad, grandma, grandpa, did you get that? Did you get that? Did you catch that? God has commanded you as a parent and grandparent to teach your children and grandchildren what God has done. Now, look at that. God has commanded you, mom and dad, grandfather, grandmother, God has commanded you to teach what he's done, his stories, history. Teach them to your children and your grandchildren. Verse 6, that the generation to come might know, even the children yet to be born, those who aren't even here yet. Do you get the picture? Do you get the picture? And, and tell them to their children. Tell them to their children. I'm not convinced that's how we always do it anymore. But that's the way God says we're supposed to do it. Now, listen to me. He's not talking here about how we sometimes do it. And, 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 and I've been a parent, you know, grandparent. I, I get this. I've done it. I've made this mistake. Sometimes we focus on don't do this and do that. And that's the, the, the extent of our instruction. That's mostly what we do. Right? Don't do this. Do that. Well, how well did that work? There's a place for that. There's a place for that. But do you, do you know what your children and grandchildren, what, what they need to see from us? This, this big old thing in here that we sometimes pull out and, you know, and draw a picture of it at Valentine. They need to see your heart. You need to let them see your love for Jesus Christ. 
they, they, they need to hear you talk about what God has done in your life, like we talked about yesterday. Grandparents, let me ask you, how many of your grandchildren know your salvation story? And if they don't know it, why do they not know it? How many of your grandchildren know the great things God has done in your life in the past so they can learn some lessons for them? But, but you're not doing just do's and don'ts, you see. That usually doesn't work. But they're getting your heart that God is real to you and it's not just the church thing and it's not just the religion thing, but it's a Jesus thing. Do, do you, parents and grandparents, do you, do you ever take the stories of God in Scripture and just tell those stories? And, and you know, one of the best ways to, to, to disciple people is just take a Bible story and talk about that story and the lessons in it. It works a whole lot better than saying, don't do this and do that, don't do this and do that, don't do this and do that, because the do's and don'ts will come out of the heart and the stories and the Word of God if you just let them see your heart and the heart of God as He works in life and He works in people. You know, sometimes the younger generation think we've got good children's ministry and it's the church's job to do that while we provide a living and take care of our kids and give them all kinds of extracurricular activities. And the church can do the teaching. Sometimes the, the older generation can say, will say the, the church can do the teaching because we, we grew up in a time where we didn't talk about a lot of stuff that's real personal. God's Word, we just read it, never commanded the church to teach your kids. God's Word commanded parents and grandparents to teach your kids and grandkids. We are, as a church, the ones that come along beside you and help. We help. We help. I don't, listen, listen, we could have the absolute best children's ministry on, on the planet and it can never take the place of what mom and dad and grandfather and grandmother can do and are supposed to do. And, and if you've delegated that to the church, you've made a mistake. You've done wrong. We're to help. We're going to help. We've got great volunteers this very hour while you're here Working, working with our kids. But there's no way that can take the place of mom and dad and grandmother and grandfather. Don't you see what God is saying here? And I, I want to encourage all of you. Now, I know some of you say I don't do much Internet, but listen, the truth is most senior adults today have email and stuff at home. Not all, but the majority do. And I want you, if you've got your smartphone, I want you to download that app, Parent Q. Download that app. And, and you can go to that. And, and what, what your children and grandchildren are learning this morning, you, you have it there. And you can talk with them about it this coming week. The stories. There's so much material there. You may have to spend a few minutes working through it to learn how it works. A lot of helps there so that, that, that you can... 
pour into your kids. We're trying to come along beside you, but we can't do your job. We're trying to help you, but you're the only one who can do your job. There's a six-week study we're getting ready to begin called It Starts at Home for Parents on raising your kids and so on. It's going to be an online study starting October 1. Now, for those who don't want to do it online in November, it's going to be taught on Wednesday night. So you can do it on your own, online, interactive study, communication back and forth, Brother Scott, our blasting game, our children's pastor, putting all that together. It'll start October 1 online, and then in November on Wednesday nights, for those who'd rather do it that, that way, uh, um, a six-week study, and details will be publicized. But I want to give you one last example from Scripture of what God's talking about when He says, remember the past, what I've done among my people. And by the way, October, November, and even into December, we're going to spend, uh, we're going to spend over two months looking back at what God's done in the past. I'm going to do a, a several-week teaching series on, on the 500-year anniversary of the, of the Protestant Reformation. October is the 500-year the anniversary of it. And we're going to look at the issues then and today because that one moment in history when God did that great work in the 1500s was one of the five most significant moments in human history that changed the world. And we're still, we're still shaped by it today in ways that many of us have no idea. So we're going to spend some time learning and letting God encourage us. But while you're turning to the book of Judges in your Bible I want to remind you that Joshua, Joshua was the one who succeeded Moses as the leader of Israel. Remember that? Moses was their leader during the Exodus and the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. He died on Mount Nebo. God buried him. Joshua succeeded him. Joshua led the people across the Jordan River into the promised land. Joshua led during the conquest of the promised land, the settling of the promised land. He was the next great leader. You jump ahead and few years and Joshua is now an old man and about to die. He gathers the people and gives them his last message, his last encouragement. He talks about the blessings of obedience and the, the consequences of disobedience and he walks them through their history. Now God made them a people. He walks them through the history of the slavery in Egypt, the history of the Exodus and the wandering. He walks them through the history of the settling of the promised land. And standing there, he says, today I'm asking you to commit. Will you? Now he's getting ready to die, so get this picture. He says, will you, knowing all of this, in the days to come after I'm dead and buried, will you be the people of God? They said, we will. We will. Well, they were for a while. Judges chapter 2, starting with verse 7. The people served the Lord all the days of Joshua And all the days of the elders who survived Joshua, who had seen all the great work of the Lord which he had done for Israel, the settling of the promised land. And then Joshua, the son of Nun, servant of the Lord, died. And in verse 9, he was buried. Now look at verse 10. 
And all that generation also, Joshua's generations and the one right after him, they were gathered to their fathers. That mean they died. means they died and they were buried. And then it says in the middle of verse 10, there arose another generation after them who what? Did not know the Lord, nor yet the work which he had done for Israel. They didn't know the past. Now that's important. Listen, listen. It's not only that they did not know the Lord, they did not know God, they did not know what God had done in the past. The only way it was possible for them to not know the great work of God, what God had done in the past, was because the generation that came after Joshua did not tell the next generation. Do you see that? The heritage of faith is always one generation from extinction. If you don't talk about it, what God has done. Not to do this and don't do that. What God has done. Who God is. What he's done in your life. What he's done in the church. What he's done among his people. What he means to you. We've got to talk about it. Look at verse 11. Then the, the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals, the idols, pagan gods. Does that sound like our generation in some ways? Are you listening, church? Verse 12, and they forsook the Lord God, the God of their fathers. At the end of verse 12, they bowed themselves down to these idols and provoked the Lord to anger. Do, do you want to see that for your grandchildren? Do you? Then start talking about Jesus. Don't, don't just tell them what not to do. Talk to them about Jesus. Talk to them about the stories of God, the work of God. They need to know your story. Grandparents, with all the love of my being, let me say to you, one of the greatest gifts you can give your grandchildren and great-grandchildren is to let them see your heart and the work of God, the story of Jesus in your life. They don't, they don't need to just know that you've been a member of the Baptist church for 70 years. They, they need to know what Jesus has done in your life. And if you, you think you as a 50-year-old, a 60-year-old, a 70-year-old spending time with hanging out with our children at this church won't impact them, brothers, let me tell you, sisters, let me tell you, you can have a bigger influence on them than you ever imagined. These, these, these young ones... Listen to older ones a whole lot more than we think if we'll just do the talking. 
and the loving. I'm going to change it up a little bit, guys, so just follow with me. Steve and Joe, come on up. Grab that microphone right here, Steve. Uh, we're going to do this at the end. I'm at a point in the sermon where you, I'm just going to stop and let them talk for just a moment right now. All right, come on up, guys. I want, I want you to hear this. If you think you don't matter. Thanks, Steve. This is an awesome opportunity to have Joe come up. Uh, if you don't know, this is Joe Easley. Uh, Joe and his wife, Stacy have been a part of our church for a number of years, probably a decade, if not more, 13 years. Uh, Joe, tell them just a little bit about your family if they don't know you. So Stacy and I moved here um, right out of college. Um, actually, uh, we got married just after we had moved here. So we were part of First Baptist since just a few months after we moved to the area. Um, we have a couple of kids. Uh, Ava is six and Buddha is three. So we just, we, we really found a home. Now, you're from from Charleston area, yeah. and then Stacy's from the Lugoff area, but her parents live in the area. So That's correct. Grandparent influence. You have some, but your parents, of course, are a little bit distant, so it's yeah. tough. So, but recently I heard a really cool story, and you were sharing this in a leadership meeting, actually, about Judah and his Sunday school class. So tell these guys about that story. So uh, my son is... He also is very strong-willed, much like his dad, and actually like his mom too. They both grown up together. Um, but they uh, they don't always they don't always want to come to church. Um, you know, it's Sunday morning, they're tired, they want to get home, whatever. And, uh, one thing that, that we discovered last year that was really interesting is that he really formed a, a great bond with his with his teachers, um, Jan and Duncan uh, uh, Futrell. And so we got to where we could say, you know get ready, it's time to go to church, and he would say, no, I don't want to, uh, and really, then we could say, well, don't you want to go see Miss Jan and Mr. Duncan, and he would immediately light up and go get ready and be ready to go, you know, within minutes and be excited to be here uh, and be excited to see them, you know, anytime that, that we were in the building. That's awesome, and if you don't know uh, Jan and Duncan, Duncan is, uh, I'll call him a resident guru on the guitar. Christmas Eve. He is an incredible guitar player, teaches lessons. Their grandparents, um, their children and grandchildren attend here. Um, so they, they don't have children necessarily in the children's ministry, but they're giving time and investing and connecting with Judah. What does that mean for you you and Stacy, to your Sunday morning and to your week to know that Jan and Duncan are there building that relationship with, with Judah in this case? I mean, really what it, what it means to us is that it's, there's people beyond us who are who care about his spiritual development, who care that he knows why we're here, why we come to this building. It's not just to come and play with blocks or go out on the playground. But there's you know there's songs to sing, there's Bible stories to read, and you know that that means a tremendous amount to us because as parents we do everything we can to you know to try to make everything to make our lives revolve around our spiritual growth and their spiritual growth, but we just we can't always do it every second of every day. So to know that somebody else cares about that for our children, just I mean, I, I don't even know how to define, like quantify what, what that means. Well, thank you for taking the time to share that, Joe. Right. Thank you, guys. Say thank you to them. Uh, 
And, and when, when I say it's, it's, it's not the church's job, it's not, it's the parents' job. But do you get the picture, though, of how we help? And there's some of you, you don't have grandchildren close by. But you've got a lot. We, we, have, we have, you know, in the hundreds of kids here every week. Well, there's a lot of kids here that you can love on and you can share the story of Jesus with and it has an impact. And so I'm just saying that's why God has us here and it's a commandment of God. And we, we can talk about the next generation all we want, but without personal investment, it's just talk. So do something. Do something. Do more than just talk. Do something. With your grandchildren. With your children. With neighborhood children. Do something with children in this church. Talk to Scott Blassingame or Holly Matthews or... Steve Polk or someone and say, I want to do something. Let, let these years of your life be times when, when you are pouring so much into the generations to come that you know there will be generations after you who know the great works of God. Pass down that legacy. That will do so much more than any amount of inheritance. Because I got news for you. Within two or three years, your inheritance will be totally gone. <laughs> On average, you know that, don't you? But a spiritual legacy? Christian legacy changes lives while you're in heaven. Changes lives on earth. Which would you rather give your grandkids and great-grandkids? Which, which would you rather give the children of this church and this city? Which do you think is going to make a bigger difference in the world in the long run? Let's stand. As Steve and the others come to lead us in singing this hymn of invitation, you're invited to respond to what God's been saying to you this morning. The altar, great place just to get on your knees and pray. And, and listen, I, I, I know there are some of you in here as parents and grandparents, your heart is breaking because of the condition of your children or grandchildren. I know that. Come and pray for them. Throw pride away. Just, just get rid of pride. And get on your face before God and plead for them. And you know, you may not be the one God uses to change a rebellious grandchild's life. You may not be the one. But see, I believe in this spiritual principle of indirect connections. 
Because if I obey God here, sometimes His blessing's not here, but it's over there. And you can't draw a straight line, but there's that beautiful spiritual line. There are lives here you can impact. And if you listen to God, let Him use you to impact lives here. Don't you think God has people in other places that can impact the people you care about there? If you'll keep praying for them? Huh? So be obedient in the spot where you are and trust our Lord. So come and pray. Come and talk to one of these pastors if you need to pray with someone. We'll be glad to pray with you. You need you, you want to join this church. We invite you to come. You need to be baptized. Come and say, I, I want to follow Christ in believer's baptism. Or you need to give your heart to Christ. Let's sing together. You come right now.